The wave literally picked me up, threw me down, and in a back-breaking crunch, man, life-altering, I did not surface on top of that water the same man. It was a spirit-breaking wave. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. My friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Entrepreneur. I'm so excited to have you here. And this is Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you. Uh, today's episode is with my good friend, uh, Vin Crispino. And I'm laughing because, uh, well, the truth is I met Vin at an ayahuasca ceremony. That was the first time I ever met him. Um, but we're actually mutual friends with many different, or many of the same people. And um, Vin is a genius. That's all I can say. He is... Uh, I guess you could say kinesthetic genius. He understands the body like no other person. And he's been able to teach people. He's been able, he's been able to teach people how to heal their own body, especially injuries and ailments and things that affect people chronically. And he can help people heal. There's an entire profession around what he does, but he initially got his knowledge through a very grisly accident. Well, I'll let him get into the story, but it's one of the most fantastic stories I've ever heard. It almost sounds like like something from a Marvel movie. So you're going to really enjoy this, uh, really enjoy this story. And I hope that you uh, leave some comments on the blog as well while you're listening to this. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this on. You leave a, uh, a comment and a review. And thank you so much for being here. If you don't know about the Peak Performance Workshop that's coming up March 4th and 5th for high-performing individuals who want to accelerate their life, build better habits, develop develop better mental clarity and focus and get their shit together in general. If you want to learn more about that and get early bird tickets, you can go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak. That's newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak. Okay, that's it. See you inside the episode. Friends, welcome back to the New Wave Entrepreneur podcast. Uh, we're here in the studio with my friend and someone actually who really interesting that I would love to introduce you to. If we if we were at an in-person dinner, Vin would be one of the first people that I would pull you aside to meet. That's why I wanted him on the show. But he has an interesting story. Vin is a corrective movement specialist, which might even sound like something that you'd hear come from a physical therapy school or come from, you know, uh, the medical side of uh, the career field. And in a, in a way it is, but he's also found a very interesting way to connect his ability to heal the body to the spirit and then has some really interesting insights on how that's created the possibility of him building a business around what he knows, which is very much uh, what I believe to be the creator economy and is a bridge between getting, you know, from where you are, which a lot of us are listening to this in, in you know, jobs that we don't like or in businesses that we don't want to be part of to where you want to be, which often many of us want to 
build a business on a passion that we have and a skill that we have. And Vin has some experience in building a business on the back of that. So, hey, man, what's up? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, okay. What I want to ask you first, you, when we first met, it was at a, a birthday party. Mm-hmm. And this was in 2019. Yeah. 18 or 19. Yeah. Uh, was it 19? It was 18. I've, was 18 I've lost track of time. I'm in a I'm time track vortex time. now. Yeah. So. I, I don't actually know anymore. Uh, before 2020 is all a blur, but 18 or 19. And, uh, we were having a big, we were having a big psychedelic birthday bash. That was such a fundamental turning point in my own personal understanding of reality that it was weird to, to even, to, to just think that years later we would still, we would meet there and still have a friendship after that, you know? It was such yeah. a strange place to meet somebody, right? It was a it was a launching pad, man. I mean, uh, all of pad. our lives radically transformed, and and I think that there was something special about that weekend. That there will be a forever bond when you go through a weekend like that of which we went through. It's so cool. Yeah, I, I think about um a lot of my close friends now. I have either met through doing some sort of uh, medicinal ceremony, something uh, whether it's in whether it's in the United States or elsewhere. And we've shared these experiences and I feel like it deepens the bond. It's like if you uh, travel the world with somebody, your bond will, you know, it will deepen like no other. And this is a sort of, sort of journey, but in a short condensed time frame. and your body never leaves, but your spirit moves and it moves together with somebody. Yeah, man. And, and I think when you go through, through these, these transformative ceremonies, I mean, you expose what's really underneath it all once you lower the defenses and you get to really see the heart of things and and i think that's what's what's kept our friendship alive is is seeing your heart and how you showed up fully to to be there for people and in in ways to hold ground in space as as just i mean it was just transformative man it was epic and it was incredible and i want to hold on to that energy forever you're such a you're such a hipster. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. You, well, anyway, I, I mentioned that to say that you have at that event, you were describing to me the story of you developing this skill set of like corrective movement and how you had a pretty traumatic event that led to this long journey. It actually reminded me of like Bruce Wayne, like Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne moment, you know, in The Dark Knight Rises where he climbs oh. out of the cave Dude, That's I what your story reminded me of. <laughs> I, I literally, I feel when he broke his back, it took yeah. me right back to the moment where yeah. I broke my back. And I, I literally cringe watching that. It's yeah. visceral. What? Give us the context for this. Yeah. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll go back to the start. So first of all, I was a, a eight time All-American division one collegiate athlete, 33 plus Colorado state records, 16 top 16 times in the nation. I was a great swimmer. I was a great athlete. I always had love for the water. I was getting incredibly burned out. You can only swim up and down the pool so many damn times staring at this black line, right? Got really burned out doing that sport. And I wanted to find something else that I was good at. And I think the natural evolution was, all right, well, what else is there in the water? They're surfing. So I picked up surfing and I had a really good ability to paddle out into the waves, but I was a shitty, terrible surfer. And this caught up to me really quick when I paddled out into waves that were far beyond my control, wiped out so hard on a rock, the wave literally picked me up, threw me down, and in a back-breaking crunch, man, life-altering, I did not surface on top of that water the same man 
it was a spirit breaking wave. My, my T12 vertebrae hit that rock. So that's where the original fracture was. There were Thoracic multi- by the neck. Uh, so right at where the top of the lumbar spine meets the bottom of the thoracic, the mid back. Okay. So we're talking, okay. let's just call it low back. And it was not only an immediate fracture, there were multiple herniations, there was a slip disc, and the force of impact from my back hitting that rock and how the nerves seized up shifted my lumbar spine 21 degrees to the left. And, and so begins my story of how the hell do you function? How do you live? How do you go I'm from- I'm seeing that picture of the wave behind you. I'm seeing that-, that uh- <laughs> it's illustrating it's your story. It, it's well. a reminder, man. Yeah, it's, it's a, a reminder. reminder. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, it's a reminder. Well, what, did, what, what did you feel in that moment? Did you know? Oh, something's very wrong. It it was an immediate knowing that something. I I had I had never experienced uh, an, an injury like that. I mean, <sighs> it, it was in that moment before I even came up. There was this sense of excruciating pain and calmness knowing that okay you just fucked your back up let let's make it to the beach you're gonna do you think you're gonna die it it was it was a moment of oh shit like i I was in i was in a problem Uh, i couldn't feel my left leg i'm in the middle of not obviously the middle of the ocean but i'm in some pretty hairy surf I've got a left leg that's floppy and doesn't really, can't feel anything. It was painful as hell to breathe. And the first thing was, let's just make it to the beach. Let's make it to solid ground. So that was the first segment of survival after that injury. It's terrifying, man. It's terrifying. So you get to the beach, you collapse onto the beach. Uh, I'm, I'm, cr- I'm crawling. I mean, I'm on, I'm on my hands and my leg. Uh, I'm on my hands and my knees, and I'm, I'm literally crawling to the car. My left knee is kind of just dragging and trailing on the ground because again, I just <sighs> couldn't feel it. Uh, my board was gone. The leash broke. I have no idea where my board was, and I wasn't really even thinking about it. Nor did I care. And you know, when I finally made it to my car, this was over uh, in Malibu. When I finally made it to my car, it was this. Uh, this moment of like, okay, I know I need to go to the hospital, but I need to be by myself for a second. I drove home and I literally just got back into my house and I laid down for what must have been six or 12 hours. I have no idea. The day is just a blur at this point, just assessing what just happened. So it was, it was a day. It was a life-changing day. And, and did, what was the doctor follow-up after that? What was the, what was the assessment? How did that, how did that go? Yeah, so so the very next day, uh, went to go go run through the normal. Uh, we went to go get MRIs to assess what kind of damage there was. Uh, MRI report came back. I mean, it was just a laundry list of conditions and terms. Scared the living hell out of me. I couldn't pronounce anything that was on this this MRI report. The I remember the doctor slapping up. Uh, not only the MRI results on the computer, but also the X-ray results on those little backlit kind of X-ray viewing uh, stations in our doctor's office. Oof. And I, I just, I remember looking at this like disfigured, mangled mess. Like that's my back. That That's what's Oof. happening right now. And and it was such a, it, it's so hard to put into words when you see something that is like your body broken, you know, and feeling that. And 
struggling even to make it into the doctor's office, you know, there's there's not only the the seeing the actual break, but there's this this ongoing narrative in the back of your mind. Okay, am I in a wheelchair for the rest of my life? Like what what can't I now do? What do I have to give right, up? Right, exactly. Exactly. Already you're eliminating things without, you know, just thinking the worst probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was out in California, obviously at this time, uh, my whole family was back in Denver. So the thought of, am I going to have to go back and move back in with my parents at 21? God, Oof. no, you know, so just, just a thousand scenarios running, running through my mind. And, you know, obviously the recommendation of a, of a fusion was, was put on the table immediately. I was a very scared human being in that moment. And not only seeing the severity of the break and the trauma and the impact, but also the doctor talking about, okay, we're going to have to do this invasive operation and we're going to have to fuse these vertebrae together. And this is the quality of life you're going to have. And these are the success rates of this. And these are the limitations. It was just this, like, I can't, I can't deal with this right now. And I left, hobbled back over to my friend. He drove me back home. And, and that is where my origin story started which is being so scared to go down the medical route. Are there other ways to, to heal this problem and this injury other than signing up for a life? So could you stand? Not for long. Standing, all my weight was propped on my right leg. It took a couple days for feeling and sensation to start trickling back into the left leg. So my walking was, was very cautious. And we're talking a, a half of a foot step forward with my right leg. And then the left leg would just kind of drag and catch up. And then another little half step forward. It was a laborious walk, to say the least. Okay. So you get home. You're thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it myself. I'm going to figure out what I should do. Then what? Well, I, I think the story is probably what happens to most people, which is, okay, where are the PTs, where are the chiros, where are the acupuncturists, where are, where's the, the, what are the avenues that, that most people go through, massage, looking up what do you actually have to go do? So my knee-jerk reaction was to go to the chiropractor, um, start getting in, into- But your solid. back was, it was broken though. Yeah. Yeah. It was a T12 fracture. What can they, how can, what- what can a chiro do with a broken vertebrae? Well, that's a thing. Not much. There, there Not was much. no adjustment. It was okay. You need to yeah. lay down in this position, and you're gonna be, you're gonna take this balloon, and you're gonna start breathing into this balloon. We've got to get the core muscles to reactivate and support kind of this broken, this broken area. Um, it was getting prescribed modified braces to kind of give me some type of stability, so to reduce the movement. Um, and it was really a waiting game of Oof. limited progress, limited action being taken, um, very limited therapy modalities were available to me. It was playing the waiting game. Nothing could really be done until that fracture of the T12 vertebrae healed. And it did. So it did heal. Yeah. Yeah. About six to eight months later, the x-ray started showing that the, that the actual fracture was healing. Um, the herniation started to recede just ever You're so lucky gently. that you didn't get paralyzed. Yeah. You could, have, I, you could have been paralyzed for sure. I think about that every single day. I don't know how, why, or what happened that allowed me to, to regain functionality. I'm, I, I'm very lucky, man. The, the human body is crazy. I think uh, youth plays a part in it. 
There's luck. Yeah. There's youth. Uh, there's God. I think about the I had, I had, you know, I didn't have an injury nearly as bad as that. But when I was younger, I had um, like a pretty bad cosmetic injury. My, my mom was cooking this uh, very hot pot of soup. It was actually a really thick pea soup with ham, split pea with ham in it. And uh, I was about mm, five or six years old and I went to go hug her from behind. She got scared and she moved her hand and the soup, the boiling soup splashed all over my face, sticking to my face, gripping with its boiling, bubbling mass of peas and little nuclear ham chunks, you know, right in my eyes and my face. And it, it, uh, it like bubbled up my skin and created all this like, uh, this just burned streaks and all this. And, and it was, but it would have been easy to be like, oh, he's going to have some permanent, uh, damage, some sort of like the skin grafts are going to be needed or some sort of plastic surgery. And, and no, it just completely healed up. And you're just like, man, that's incredible. How old were you? Five, six. Dude, lucky. Easily could have been disfigured. Yeah. And I, I can't say that that wouldn't have affected my life. <laughs> it would have. Yeah. Look, man, I, 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 I wish I could say in the first six months to a year, there was a lot of actionable steps. I, was, I laid on my back. I stared at the ceiling. I lost my jobs. I didn't work. Uh, I, I stopped doing life. And there I was just laying on my ground, trying to find whatever position would bring any reasonable amount of comfort. I mean, that, that was life for a year. So, I mean, what is this, like a Dr. Strange moment where you're like, I need to find the solution to my, well, Dr. Strange, he broke his hands, right? I have to find the solution. And so he finds a guru and you kind of found a guru. That's what you told me. Man, I found, I, at the time I thought he was a guru. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. he definitely sent me in a, in a new path. Uh, I just learned a lot. I know. Of, I, you know, I say it facetiously. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I ended up walking into, so this was probably four or five years after breaking my back. The vertebrae healed, the herniations healed, still couldn't move. Still, every day was literally just, how, how do you get through it? What do you got to do to to move as little as possible, to be as comfortable as possible? And and I remember I was at a grocery store. This was down in Santa Monica. This guy approached me because I, I was having a hard time like getting the milk off of the rack and putting it into the cart. And obviously it was yeah. it was very visible, man. I was struggling with movement. And he came up to me and he's like, Hey, here's my card. I want to help you. And I said, I don't need your help. And he says, I think, <laughs> I think you do. I'm not asking for money. I just want you to come see me as soon as you can. I took him up on it. A couple of days later, I called him. We set up the first appointment. I walk in and the first thing he says, without asking anything of the origin story, what your injury, what's going on, he's like, man, we got to fix that left leg. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I broke my back. This has nothing to do with my left leg. And we kind of had that conversation and he was the first person, and we're talking after PTs, after chiros, after doctors, after acupuncturists and massage therapists, everybody was focused on my back. And he's the one person who didn't give a shit about my back. He's like, we've got to fix how that leg works if we're going to ever have a quality of life again. Within the very first session, we didn't do anything for my back. We literally repositioned the alignment of my left leg. And it was the <laughs> first time in years that I could breathe without pain. It was the first time I actually was able to stand up and feel like I was standing on both legs and not just dumped over into one leg to support me up. And, and that was the pivotal life-changing moment that there's a way to do this. I had just been looking in all the wrong areas. 
Whoa. And isn't it interesting too how you can get first opinion, second opinion, third, fourth, fifth, and there's still someone that comes along that has a different perspective and it turns out to be right for you. Dude, I I brought my body to so many people, experts and specialists, and each one tried to literally have, they gave me a different reason as to why things are the problem the way they are. And, and it was finally after vetting through most of those where I, where I get to a guy who's who just completely radically changes how I'm approaching the body and the problem that I have. That's when things started to change is when we changed the thinking and how we were approaching it. It was no longer, let's just go make my back feel better. It's how do we get my legs to work better? And the reaction was my back just started to work and heal faster than it had in five years. It's interesting. Uh, there's probably something here to be said about first principles thinking. It's like, well... If the back has a problem, what's what's contributing to the back problem? Maybe it's the leg alignment. So the first principle is go back to the leg alignment, fix the leg alignment, back alignment fixes itself. So, and I think that the medical approach to uh, fixing problems sometimes has that bias of like only addressing a symptom and not addressing the cause. Mm-hmm. So I'm not obviously not a doctor, but it seems like there might have been a cause that was addressed that fixed a symptom for you. Yeah. Well. Well. If we, if we take a big step back, the medical system is not here to cure. They're here to help reduce symptoms. And right. my symptom was back pain. They weren't trying to cure me. They weren't trying to resolve the root cause. And, and it wasn't until we stopped chasing symptoms and looked at what is causing these symptoms to be here in the first place. Nothing changed. Yeah, you think about even even the idea of the medical field of pain management. You're like, wow, a pain management specialist? That's you might as well just say <laughs> you might as well just say, you know, the do nothing service. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> my, my pain management specialist was just really good at giving me really strong drugs. Yeah. That that was the whole that's thinking how you're managing, approach. Right. Yeah, that's how I was managing. And I developed a great dependency on narcotics because of it. That was the next phase of, of how and then they have other doctors for that. Yep. And then I took these <laughs> to get off those and then those to do this. And it's like, I'm, I still can't fucking move. Ping pong, ping pong, ping yeah. pong, ping pong. Just fix my back. Where um, nothing was being addressed. Which by the way, you know, the problem you're describing, that is the main theme of the show on Hulu, Dope Sick with Michael Keaton. So this is a show about the opioid epidemic and how um, people in middle America, especially in coal country, for instance, will get hurt on the job doing some work, hurt their back, and then they get prescribed these opioids and opioids were sold to doctors as a non-addict or, or I'm sorry, um, oxy, oxy, different types. Oxy was basically sold to doctors as a non-addictive opioid. And it was it was billed as non-addictive opioid. This <laughs> is true. This is documented. Yeah. And so this show documents that in a narrative format. It's hilarious. And then everyone is starting to die of opioid abuse and, and, and heroin, heroin, basically heroin abuse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's very addictive. That, that was years of my life. I mean, it, it was years yeah. of just going from bottle to bottle to bottle. And, and at some point it was like what I had to do to get through it. But again, we weren't going after what the real issue was at all. Well, you know, and my dad used to, I mean, case in point, my dad used to have Really bad back problems. He couldn't even bend down and tie his shoes. You know, you've met my dad, right? Have you met him? Uh, yeah. no, I don't think uh, I've you? actually met him. No? No. No. Well, he's huge and he was about 300 pounds and he lost about 60 pounds and that solved his back issues. 
it solved his the most of his most of his mobility. He's doing jujitsu now every week. Okay, he's getting on his back doing stuff in the guard, like sixty pounds, and he completely reversed his diabetes. That's that was excellent. just from losing sixty pounds. It's excellent. So that shows you the effect that you can have on your body through your own efforts. It 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 really comes down to to what you give yourself on a daily basis. I mean that that that's yep. what it is. Your dad had some kind of motivation to to move move more, eat better. And the body is brilliant at adapting, just like he gained You're looking the 60 at him. pounds. I'm his motivation. Yeah, they, are you? <laughs> yes. Is he trying to kick your ass in jujitsu? Well, if he does, that'll mean he's in healthier shape. So I hope he, I, you know, he's he's a very heavy man. So I said after a year, it's going to be annoying to deal with him. Right now, he's easy to deal with. Yeah. Have you you guys rolled together? Yeah. I mean, he's just he's he's so he just he, you know he has no endurance right now, but he's so big. He's you know still a good two fifty plus, and he's big and strong so it's he's annoying to deal with but he's you know he sucks right now so it's easy but as soon as he starts to get good that's going to be very once he starts to know what to do in response to things it'll yeah. be annoying when he learns how to use that way to his advantage yeah it'll be very annoying but we're not quite there yet you know i have i still have that advantage but yeah, well so so but what happened for you though is that you learned that there was a new way of solving your problem but then you what what clicked for you that you're like oh i want to do this for other people it was that first session of how much, I mean, look, man, I gave up the better part of my 20s from about 20 to 25. It was just gone. It was gone to to drugs and laying on the ground. Um, knowing the little amount of money I had and the tens of thousands of dollars that this put me into debt, it, conservatively, and and here comes this guy. He wasn't on Instagram. He wasn't an influencer. You'll never see a billboard with his contact info. Just this guy who knows how to help the body move and feel better. This information's fucking out there. It's out there. Yeah. And, and not one expert in person that I saw ever recommended, let's improve how your whole body moves. That was the moment that I felt <laughs> it, it is a disservice to humankind to not have this information in every single person's mind. This has to be bigger than what it is. I was, I was mad that it took five years of unnecessary suffering to get to something that ended up being a game yeah. changer. And it was that session that I made it my mission that people deserve to know this information. They have to. You know what's interesting too? It's like it's like you can read a book at multiple points in your life and it will have a different meaning every time. You'll catch something new from it at each point in your life depending on what you're experiencing. And I feel like because there's so much information out there, what this man, this we'll call him the mystery guru, the yeah. man, yeah, the rich dad, name. poor dad, uh, you know, uh, the, but this, this mystery guru, what he also had wasn't secret knowledge. It's also information that's readily available and out there. But oftentimes you have to be uh, looking for it specifically to find it. And so it's, and so it's people like him who connect it with those who are searching. And you are now one of those people to others. Yeah. But you've done it now in a digital way. Yeah. And, and the digital way is, is how do I prevent people from wasting five more years not knowing what information to ask, what questions yeah. to ask? H how can you help somebody solve this problem significantly faster by giving them the necessary education to approach this problem entirely different? And, and that's... So enter the digital age. So you so you honed your your practice based on your own experience, and then working with a lot of clients to what determine how to solve movement problems, to how to how to recover from injuries. What's the focus of the work? 
Yeah, so, so the focus of the work is corrective exercise, right? Improve movement patterns. What I first learned to improve how I felt, I then went to actually go get a formal education as a corrective exercise specialist. And I started working with people one-on-one to then do the same thing for them, improve their life. And what I noticed is everybody came to me with incredibly different stories, incredibly unique, complicated problems. They were all so different and exactly the same. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They were all different and exactly the same. So this was after, I'm telling you, I went on a spree. I was averaging in the tune of 200 to 240 one-on-one private sessions a month. That's 60 sessions a week. That's 60 sessions a week by itself, let alone- That's five a day. What what, what is that? No, 10 a day? It's 10 to 12 a day day for six to seven days On a work session. Yeah. Oh, yowzers. Four years. So I I played the volume game and I started seeing, okay, everybody's so different and exactly the same. What are the things that are the same in all these sessions? What's the basic information that I have to go over? this basic discovery process and and what does somebody actually need to know? I was wasting my time teaching it one person at a time. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of energy. And, and that's what birthed this like digital era of moving this practice and methodology online, which is to, to streamline this. I don't want to have to t- educate one person at a time and say the same thing over and over again when these principles have served thousands of people all with completely different problems it then became about how to actually put this info to to make it as available as possible and you were getting clients one-on-one just through the work you were doing you were solving people's problems for them they were telling their friends they were referring you you were getting your name out there you're doing the work for years that's there's no secret to that really is there any what's the secret to that it's just doing great work yeah there's marketing there what did you do there's two things uh number one you have to be phenomenal. And then number two, you have to let as many people know about it as possible. It started with becoming an expert with corrective exercise, knowing your shit, becoming great at what you do. And because I focused on that and I handheld everybody's experience, I delivered a phenomenal session every single time, even though it was 60 times a week, every single one of them, I showed up fully to do it. And because I did that, they then told everybody that they knew. they, Everybody I was working with could not hear of a friend, family, or loved one in pain and not say, call my guy right now. He'll take care of you. So it started out- by, I, I, I called two of my, I called my wife and my mom for you. Yeah, you did. Because it works. Yeah. It did. works. You did. Because I did it. I did a couple sessions with you. I'm like, okay, this works. <laughs> and, and it started with one person and then he told two of his friends and it literally yeah. just compounded from there without any marketing doing a great job and helping people spread this business like wildfire. Literally, we went international. It was, I'd started having clients in multiple countries because people would travel and then just keep talking about it and sharing this information. And and I can't tell you how many times people reach out and say, hey, somebody just said this. I don't know them, but they gave me your, your social. Can I work with you? You know, and they're in Ireland, they're, they're in Japan, they're in New Zealand, they're in Australia. It was just all What are some of your more interesting cases that you saw, like are strange injuries that you were able to heal or just interesting things? Yeah. So, um, I think we, you know, I definitely kind of harp on the medical system. It, it's not without a lot of its problems here, but in working with people in different countries, 
I've got to see how bad their medical systems are. <laughs> Ours is good in comparison to theirs. Man, the, the, the wildest case, and, and I couldn't believe it, even though I was looking at these x-rays, I was trying to make sense of it. This woman got involved in a car accident and basically the, the, her shoulder not only dislocated, but it went up through the rib. So it came out and actually went through the rib cage. Oof. Whoever Oof. this person saw, they obviously pulled the shoulder out. They wired the rib cage and the shoulder back into place using wire. There was no thought, there was no afterthought of movement. There was just, let's go wire all of this together. What country was this in? Uh, man, I, I want to say it was a South American country. Uh, to this day, I, I, it, it escapes me. But, but I get to see all man. of these. What were these people thinking? Not the, what, the, what type of wire? I have no idea. She, she said it was chicken wire. It was not chicken wire. There's, there's, look, come on. It's not chicken wire. It must've been a medical grade wire, but, but still it was like the thought of, of, of how somebody was thinking such short term, let's trauma, let's just fuse all these things together. Yeah. There's yeah. No well, that's, that thought. seems like the medical approach in the U S of just fuse the back. It's just a different technology. Just hold it in place. I can't tell you how many people I know who've gotten the advice of getting their back fused. And I think always that sounds like the worst last resort. It's, don't do it if you don't have it. Yeah, you know, and unless, and that was the first thing. Other way. That, you know, that was the first thing that was presented to me, and it scared the shit out of me. So again, no, there, there, no, there's no, got to no. be another way. So, so you're you're building up this knowledge base, clientele base, and and that that's the basis of the of the or the genesis for Pain Academy, which is the digital version of it, right? Yeah, that's how you're taking it to Web three. That's that's your that's your spaceship for Web three. That's my spaceship, man, and it's, it's Pain Academy. It's blasting off. <laughs> yeah, baby. The good, the good thing about uh, about what you're doing is that, in terms of just, just from a business perspective, people are always having some sort of pain, so they're always going to be looking for solutions to it. Always, uh, as an athlete, I can tell you that there's always something I'm working on. It is self reinforcing because if it works, people want more of it, and it's relatively lightweight because you are helping them with things that are generally that generally work across all the the clients and the case studies that you've worked with. So this is basically, this is an info business, right? This is like, this is a, a essentially at a, at a core level, it's delivering your, your info, your, your IP. Yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, it's knowledge. I don't yeah, own human movement, right? I can't, I can't go patent a squat for variation, but what I own <laughs> is, is how you can apply stimulus to the human body that restores a human's movement system. The Crispino squat. The Chris, that'd be dope. We got to work on the name. <laughs> actually, right, but. yeah, it's yeah. They might, you might have something there. Well, isn't that interesting? How you can develop your own practice, and then you can say, "All right, I'm going to make a curriculum around this." And and what what gave you the? Uh, I guess I, probably the, the just working with the clients gave you the confidence to go out and do this. But what gave you the the idea of putting it all together a curriculum? And then what was your first step in putting it out there? Like, how did you launch it? Just, I'm just curious about your thought process. Yeah, so so uh, I remember the day that that idea became right at my. It just it it entered my life. It was uh, Saturday. It was probably four or five o'clock at night when everybody's usually enjoying their weekends. I'm in the the clinic doing another one on one session, and it was a first session with a with a gentleman named Jay who manages some five hundred million dollars in assets. I mean, the guy is the guy's brilliant, very successful all of which I didn't know that at the time. He just came to me with a shoulder problem. We did a couple simple hip exercises 
and his shoulder freed up. And he looked at me and was confused and annoyed at how much time, he's a business guy, right? Time is money. How much time and money he spent on solving this problem with years without results. And here comes some guy with a neck tattoo in a clinic on a Saturday afternoon that says, hey, we, it, your, your shoulder's fine. We got to go after these hips. I give him a hip exercise. It works better than the years of PT that he was doing for his shoulder. And he said, why are you here right now? Why, why isn't this a bigger business? And why aren't you online? What do you need to do to actually get this information into more people's hands? I hadn't even thought of doing this stuff online. I thought I was going to be a one-on-one -on -one guy until the day I died. And I was fine with that. Made good money. It was great. I was exhausted, but I was fine with that, right? So, so that day, it took a guy who is exceptional at business to look at what I was doing and say, you're missing the ball. You're, you're missing the picture. You're mm. leaving so, not only money on the table, but lives changed. If you're here to change lives, who are you to not bring this into a digital space and go service millions of people instead of 12 people a day? So, so I owe a lot of this to that conversation. That's a very interesting uh, way of looking at things. And there's also something, there's a nugget there of whenever you're around people who are either your peers or your elders in a space or your, your superiors in a space, it's great to ask the question or some variation of the question of like, what do you see that I can't see? Because everyone has a different perspective. And a lot of times, myself included, I'm, in, the, in the conversation, you get caught up in the emotion of running your business. And that that tunes you into looking at it a specific way and overlooking things that to someone who is objective and not involved with your life can say, oh, there's an issue here or uh, you're holding yourself back here or this is a false belief. Just having those conversations. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody and he said, yeah, uh, this isn't going to work. You're doing it wrong. Trust me. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is the way to go. Trust me. You don't know. You don't know. And sure enough, they were right. And I'm like, ah, they did see, did see something I couldn't see. And so it's good to get the, that feedback and to really take it to heart if you trust the source. And, and I didn't trust him, didn't know who the hell this guy was. I trusted the car sure. he pulled up was, a. I mean, yeah. look, if you're in a Rolls, you kind of got to know what you're doing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there's something there. <laughs> yeah. Trust anyone in a Rolls Royce. Yeah, you got to know what you're doing a little bit. But, but my first instinct was not, oh, wow, yeah, that's a great idea. I was like, that's not possible. No. How do you do that? This is an in-person business. You can't possibly come up with an online scalable model. Yeah, because they need me because I'm the special sauce. Because it's me. I'm the one who did the changes. No. Right. It was the information right. that did the change, not me. You just facilitated. I was the, the vessel. That was it. Yes. So, so I yeah, resisted that's, it. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, that's, that's a way of looking at it. Yep. I, I, I resisted it. I thought about the conversation a couple times and then I did what most business owners do. You just go right back into what you know. You go right back into the trenches doing it again and again and again. And it wasn't until months later <laughs> where I was just, I was kind of hitting burnout. I, I actually saw the end of what I thought was going to be a forever thing. And it was me ending it because there's no way I could keep burning at this, at this volume. Yeah. Um, yeah. I couldn't tell people no because... I was that guy who was broken and needed help. I felt for every single person that reached out to me, I had an inability to say no, and I was running myself into the ground. There has to be a different way to do this. And I started looking at how to do that. And that's- The what, business owned you. Oh, I, I, was, I was owned. I was owned. I it thought was I was an owner. I was, I was owned. 
Well, yeah, and you know, that's interesting too. It's like, um, I'm writing a piece on the different levels of income generation right now. And it's like, what you have was a level two. Level one is you're renting your income stream from another business, like you have a boss that's mm-hmm. working a nine to five. Level two is you own your income stream, but you're still dependent on that stream. And if you leave the stream, you don't collect anything. And that was just you working those hours, serving those clients, can't say no, you know, the more you work, the more you get paid, but then there's a, there's a natural cap to how much you can work. And also the quality goes down at a certain point. Um, so yeah, you get caught in that trap where, but the thing is you can get paid very well at a level two and be happy enough to stay there, but burn yourself out and stay in this weird holding pattern. Now, you know, level three. So level one is you're renting an income stream. Mm-hmm. Level two is you own an income stream. Level three is you own the system essentially that's entrepreneurship quote entrepreneurship and everyone says that entrepreneurship is a mindset and you can argue about what exactly it constitutes but in this case we're talking about just owning a system so if you have a you know in in 2022 e-commerce is a great example of this an e-commerce business produces results sends out products fulfills delivery and then the person who owns it owns that business and collects money from it but isn't doing the things that create the money necessarily every action is he's not doing every action necessarily not every package and with you on the digital side it's like okay you're selling programs products that are you delivering information but you're not you're scaling yourself through a systemized approach right you're scaling your knowledge through um you know through apps and through webinars and through email services and through all these different ways of communication to get the info out and that's a level three business because then you now own that system where i messed up was going from one to two right it was great leaving the fitness game and starting to work for myself sure yep but level two in order to escape the cage of level one i created a whole different cage of level two yes which can happen a lot and i was stuck in that cage and so then what i did was i moved on to level three like you just talked about but I created another cage. The program, I literally just mirrored the same problems in my level two, which is I've (laughs) got to put so much energy and effort into this every single day. Right. I built something that I thought was scalable, but I didn't understand what scale was. I didn't realize that a thousand to 2000 to 5,000 people were now in my system. And I now had to go service things because things weren't clear. Things weren't being delivered accurately the technology wasn't there to support me i thought i was in level three i just built a better level two mousetrap <laughs> yeah I, oh i i i've played that game with myself many times or you think you're about to exit level two and <laughs> then you get pulled back down you're like i'm about to get out of here ah, gonna pull back yeah i mean i think um i think and i to be fair, you can be in multiple levels at the same time. There's just different activities that you're doing at, at given times. You just want to spend most of your time hopefully moving up the up the ladder. Level four is what we call, you know, the investor. They own the capital. So it's like owning the money that's creating the businesses, that's creating the cash flow. So it's like a couple levels up. And then level five, well, maybe we'll review that in a different podcast. I'll let you guys hold on to that. That's a secret bonus level. Get me to but, level five. Yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to, um, we want to move up the chain as much as possible. But even, you know, I would assume that most people still, you know, uh, spend time working on things that are them trading their time, even high level executives. But at the same time, it's like, it is interesting to think, like, if we all have the same amount of hours in a day, how is it that some people are able to run their businesses so much more efficiently and are able to really, truly scale it and others just get, stay stuck in the same cycle of like, 
trying to manage it and trying to grow it and then seeing it not work and then trying to make it happen and then trying to again, but just really just working harder, but not building the thing better. It, it took me a painful couple years to understand exactly what it is, what it is that you're talking about. I, I didn't really understand because I'm a corrective exercise specialist. You bring me a broken body. Correct. I'm going to know how to help guide you to feel better and move better. You bring me a business now that I've got to grow and, and optimize. I couldn't have told you the difference between low leverage work and high leverage work. I thought high leverage work was right. like, let's respond to everybody's DMs. Let's, res- right. you know, <laughs> it's so true. Oh man. I was just, I was ch- putting out the same fires every single day without actually moving the, the, the needle forward. I've been through that a few times with different types of uh, businesses. And even recently, like I was just reflecting on what are the things I've learned, you know, from the different times I've hired employees, I've fired employees, I've built up systems and structures. I've I've, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I, what are the different things I've learned from building teams, from working by myself? What are the activities that return the highest amount of value? Like it really comes down to, yeah, like how you are, how you're, how you're thinking about your life and how you're using your time. And I think that really when you think about effective time usage as well, I know we're kind of going off on a tangent, but I've been thinking about this a lot, the idea of deep work. And, um, you don't really get that many hours every day of doing like, your best, best work, Mm. I feel. You probably get three hours, maybe four. Four would be for me like glorious, you know. And so if that's – because everything else around that is like getting to other things and you might be responding to things or multitasking or helping with things or if you're at home now, a lot of us are working from home, dealing with family. You know, I got three dogs in the house right now. That's at least something. You got a kid in the house. You know, it's like we're doing stuff. We're moving around. Really, you know, you got your workouts you got to do. You got to eat. You got to feed yourself. You got all this stuff you got to do. You maybe get three or four hours of like that glorious time that's just to devote to the thing. And maybe you get some more later in the day. But if it's only those three or four hours, what can you do in that time that's going to give you the most return on your energy? And that it blows my mind how uh, over years that compounds on a day to day basis. It might not seem like there's a big difference between what I'm doing and what you're doing. But over years, consistency of the right thing is the difference between ending up in, you know, a vacation home or the freezing Antarctic, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I viewed all time as the same. And again, going back to the low leverage stuff, it was never, okay, I've got six hours, let's go get as much work done. It was, it was never the intelligent, what do I want to accomplish with these hours? What's the best use of my time? And what is a high leverage thing that I can do to actually move my life forward? It was just busy work and I got caught in that busy work cycle for such a damn long time. And, and you know, yeah, working from home, I've got a kid, I've got a wife, we now have fish. They're not too distracting, but I, I was working 60 something plus hours a week, but I wasn't really working. Right. They say working 60 hours, but it's like, like if you work a nine to five and you bill for 40 hours, are you really working those, are you really working those whole 40 hours? No, you're working three hours a day hard. The hour before and after lunch, that's out. The first hour after you get in, that's out. That last hour before you leave, that's out. So that's five hours gone. You're going to get three good hours. I, I played, I played this game uh, a year ago and it's actually served me really well. This was back again, doing the grind, right? 10, 12, 14 hour days. I know you know what those are like. But along mm-hmm. the, the, the thought that you're talking about, when I really took a step back, about 
an hour to two hours of those were actually productive hours. I was just doing busy shit for 10 hours. Right. So I stopped working those extra 10 hours and I just focus on the hour or two, those those vital critical yeah. moments where I'm fully engaged. Yeah. My work day was cut down by 80% and the business was growing. It was so damn confusing, man. I get it. Well, quality over quantity. I mean, I have, I have on my on my on my, uh, my board right here. I have uh, the, every day. So I have like a little index card. So every day I have uh, the day of the week, and then I have a slash there, and each slash represents an hour of deep work working on something. Right now, I'm doing I'm working on a writing project, so I'm counting each slash as an hour working on that writing, and that hour is it's not just like a. Uh, an approximate hour i put on the pomodoro timer like the like the strict interval timer and that's that's specific hours of deep work and what i'm doing is i'm just looking at how many hours can i get per day based on everything else i have to do in the day obviously it doesn't mean those are the only hours i'm working during the day like i will still be responding to emails and helping out and doing stuff but like i'm talking about just deep work in an important project and Last week, I did nine and a half hours. I would have liked to have done more, but nine and a half hours total. Now, this week, I'm aiming for 15 plus, and I'm going to quantify how much I can really get done on a deep, important project when I'm, when I'm actually looking at a specific number of hours that I've worked on that project rather than saying, Oh yeah, I think I wrote today. Cause you know, we all have projects we're working on, but we're not really putting in the hours of focused attention. And this is a way to quantify that deep work state. How many hours were you just focused on this thing today? You know? Well, it, it goes to, uh, I believe what your last podcast was was about. It's the scientific method and rationale. Let's look at the freaking data first. If you've got a problem in your life, if you're trying to do something, what is the actual numbers right. and getting a right. pulse on that data? Right. You know, I, I oftentimes also as an entrepreneur, I think there's there's that grind and hustle mentality where are you really working as much as you say you're working? You know, right. it, it's, it's looking Quantify at the Quantify it. Yeah. If I want to get, if I, I, so for instance, I want to get promoted to purple belt. I, I, I believe I'm ready, but I can't make that distinction, whatever. And I'm just, you know, whatever, I'm just training. But if I, if I'm only training twice a week, maybe if I'm being generous, that would be 90 minutes of straight training per session. So maybe three hours per week. If I'm being generous, so that would be what three six hours, uh, three hours a week times four, twelve hours a month. Is twelve hours a month the pace that I would need to get ready to go? Well, I don't know, maybe, but at twenty four hours, it might be better, you know. And you might start to see, you might, if you were to track your progress and how you felt in class, the progress you were making. Uh, the notes and comments from instructors and peers, you might see that at a certain number of hours, you really start to see a, 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 an increase in your improvement that, that starts to, um, that starts to create almost a compounding effect. But you have to break through that initial resistance, that gravity of breaking off the ground by putting in enough consistency and enough volume. Um, the same thing with, with you're trying to write, you know, it's like you need to have, you know, start to, start to get many thousands of words into a project with some volume before you can get that momentum. Um, so I think momentum is, is important in, in habit building and in, in that, that process of like developing your, your routines. I, I think the momentum's important and being very realistic about the big picture. I'll give you an example. People reach out all the time. 
uh, Vinny, I've got 40 degrees of a thoracic scoliotic curve. How long is it going to take me to fix that? That's the wrong <laughs> fucking question to ask. It's how much time do you have a day? How consistent can right. we be? And then right. we can answer if you do X, Y, and Z every day and you do not give up, then it should take X amount of months to resolve this. If that time frame is not good enough, then we have to double your routine. And if you're yep. inconsistent in doing it every other day, take whatever number I gave you and double it. You're going to double the time frame if you're not consistent. And we, you know, we like kind of like fudge our numbers. You know, when, uh, when I was bodybuilding, I really learned to track foods. And there's a big difference between what you think you're eating and what you're actually <laughs> eating if you track it. <laughs> Huge difference. And Massive. we're not honest with ourselves, you know, about how much work we're doing, how much food we're eating. You know, when you know that like, okay, a serving of peanut butter is two tablespoons. Dude, I can eat half a jar in a light snack sitting. You know, and that's so many calories, which, you know, if I'm going to be running, fine, whatever. But at the same time, don't pretend like it was one serving, you know, but I'd be like, oh, I had some peanut butter, you know, no, I had half a jar. Yeah. Look, look, mate. I can eat so much. You can eat too. I've seen you. You can eat. I can put it down. Now that I'm running, I, I, I become a human trash can for food. It's just whatever, <laughs> dude, it's just calories at this point, man. It's it's barbaric the amount of food I've got to I eat to sustain ultra marathon training. Barbaric. Are you doing? You training for an ultra marathon? So, I've I've got the ultra scheduled. Oh my gosh. June eighteenth, fifty miles, twenty eight thousand vertical feet. You summit four different peaks over those fifty miles. This thing, holy! It, it's it's one of the toughest ultra ultra races. You like there. running then? I I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> i hate it you must like it well it, i understand what you mean look every time i'm running i think back to the days that i couldn't so it is this like you asshole you're not gonna run you know you can you couldn't before yeah, who are like you to not do it now so i feel like an asshole when i, I feel the ex it. yeah i feel the exact same about jujitsu i'm like anytime i'm not there i'm thinking you fucking <laughs> asshole you need to be training when i'm there i'm thinking god this is painful and then when i'm done i'm thinking that was awesome. Every time. Uh, Every time. You know, and then when I when I when I go and I and I do a tournament, I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm so nervous. And then when I'm training, when I'm in the tournament, I'm thinking, God, this is annoying, or I'm not thinking anything at all. And then when I get out, I say, that was pretty good. I learned something. You know, but every it's like it's like when I go to do the cold shower in the morning. Every time before I do the cold shower, I'm always like, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's always I'm scared of it, and then I always do it. I'm like, <sighs> you know, so. But we all try to fool ourselves. We we try to fool ourselves, and and for some reason, we have expectations about how things should be that we've never done before. I've never been an ultra runner, but I had the expectation that it would get easier to do 10, 15, 20 mile runs. It doesn't. It, it's, it doesn't. Those miles are just as hard as when I first started. They just don't care. The people just don't care. Yeah. That's the difference. They're going all out every time. They're saving some, but they know that it's going to be hard the whole time. That's how you got to do this hard shit. It doesn't get easier just because you get more experience. You just learn to mentally deal with it better. That's what it is. It doesn't get physically easier, but mentally you just change the way that you're thinking about it as you get more skilled, especially at a difficult physical pursuit. That, that little voice that is begging you to stop calculate okay how much you know you can just easily turn back how much longer how every how, step dude it's i thought that would go away 
It's it it is still. I just did a long run. Like it's still there today. You just learn to like say, "I see you, I hear you," but you're not you're not winning today. Like you can keep bitching, but you're gonna do the damn thing. And and my surprise was was learning that I don't think that voice ever goes away. You just get really good at at learning how to work with it and and what those conversations need to be like to to keep you going. I, and I think that's the thing too. I think part of success is realizing that it's not necessarily what you thought it would be. You think sometimes success means that the negative voices go away or that it gets easier, or feels better at a certain point. But I think that success is often succeeding in spite of those things, not giving up when it, when it, when those things naturally uh, occur and learning that that's that's part of it, which I know sounds cliche and very like, you know, wrapping it up nicely in a bow. But I think that especially with like with with just doing something consistently. So, guys, if you're listening to this, we've been talking about habits a lot and peak performance. And, you know, there's a great quote uh, that James Clear brought to my attention. He said something along the lines of like, you know, when you're looking at a hammer breaking through, you know, you know a stone, a stone tablet, it's not the thousandth strike, but, you know, every strike before that, that breaks through the stone. And consistency is like that in your life. Whatever you're consistent with, positive or negative, will create, you know, a, a long-term resonance in your life as it's expressed in your personality and ultimately your behaviors. And um, so, it's, it's just important that you're putting some mindfulness and intention behind what you're spending your time repeatedly doing. And... Um, you can use this though to your advantage and you can purposely build in areas of your life where you're being more consistent, where you're being, uh, you know, more intentional around creating habits and routines. And one of the things, uh, that you can do is you can also monitor your self-talk. And so when you're doing your, when you're doing these things that are hard, when you're, you know, you're working out, which is something we talk about a lot, or you're like, you're doing your business, which sometimes it's easy to get in your head doing your business. And you're like, you know, oh, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not good at this. This is hard. This month was really challenging. Uh, no one's going to like my new product. No one's going to listen to my marketing campaign or whatever you're thinking in your head. Just like when you're running, like them was saying, you can silence that voice. You can say, shut the fuck up. I hear you. But shut the fuck up and make a habit out of that. So just like you make a habit out of your other things in your life that are important, make a habit out of taking control of the narrative in your mind. I will actively experience imposter syndrome. I'll actively experience negative thoughts. But I'll look at those and say, oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to be part of that. And I'll just actively I'll acknowledge it and deny it rather than thinking I'm thinking these thoughts. This is me. I think, oh, I observed that. And I, I, I don't I, I don't agree. I don't agree. I disagree. I, one of the biggest things that I've learned with this ultra running, this comes from from the man himself, David Goggins. The main thing oh. that I pulled from his book God. was you can't work on this shit when you're comfortable. You can't work on getting better at the self-talk when you're safe, when you're in your room and you're doing the meditation. You got to make the hard decisions. You got to get out there and get uncomfortable. That's only when, that's the only time that this stuff can actually be worked on. You know, you can say, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, work better with that inner voice. You can prepare for it until you get on that fucking run and it starts barking at you. Nothing prepares you until you're actually in that discomfort. And and I thought that that especially, you know, with business, the more successful things we got, the more that voice would go away. The uh, no. The voice of lack would start calming down and abundance would start showing up once I start seeing how many countries we're in and how many members we have. It's still barking just as much as it was on my first Instagram post when I was like, are people even going to yeah. care about this? 
Yeah. And then we, you know, I was talking about this with another person on the podcast. It's like the idea of humans have a hard time imagining scale. So it's like we have a hard time imagining the fact that if you have 5,000 members in your community, you might say 5,000 is not that much. A lot of influencers have hundreds of thousands or millions. But then it's like 5,000. It's like if you imagine, okay, 5,000 individual humans and all the family members they touch and all the things that are happening and all the little changes that are happening in their lives because of what they're learning from you. And if you think about like the network effect, then it becomes overwhelming and you think, wow, it's actually a huge impact. But humans have a hard time imagining the scale of our own impact, especially as it's magnified across these networking platforms like we have now with, you know, Web 2 stuff and soon to be Web 3. We have huge impact. Yeah, I um, my goal was to have a million members and I would not settle for anything less than a million members. I didn't understand. <laughs> well, that is quite ambitious. I, I don't think I understand how much a million was. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it was a lot more. Well, even than if I you just run the numbers, membership membership businesses too, recurring membership businesses are so challenging to run and to scale. The dream of them is beautiful. The best one in the world is Amazon Prime. So copy whatever they're doing. They have people locked in and will never leave. And Netflix is a close second, or maybe they're up there battling. But um, Netflix just raised their prices to 20 bucks a month and no one cares. They could, for me, what's the highest Netflix could charge before you would start saying, okay, this is too much? 20, maybe 30. Well, that's where they're at now. Yeah. That's where they're at now. I would go up to 50. I, I remember a conversation. This was years ago with you. And we were talking about the difficulty of, of how hard it is to run a membership business. And I'm, I'm there mm-hmm. sitting thinking like, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. It's way easier than the one-on-one business until you started asking me basic questions that I've never heard before. And I had no, ab- <laughs> and I had no ability to answer. What's your churn? Yeah. What's the MRR? What's the, <laughs> what, what's the lifetime value? And, and, and how long until people, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, we got members and we're making money and we're doing good. Sure. It's working. I didn't look at it as a membership business and the key metrics that I needed to know until we were on that patio and you were asking me what should have been the Dude. easiest handoff questions. And and there was just no intelligible response coming to the surface because I wasn't paying attention. I've tried multiple times to really get it going from my products and other people's. And it's just, you know, you you lose a lot on the front end. You lose more than you realize. If you're spending money on paid ads, you lose more than you realize. And it's also hard to get very good metrics on how long people are staying, what's working, getting the tech to make sure people are getting log- – you know, in and out of the membership, if they're canceling or if they're resigning credit card stuff, like it's, it's challenging and making sure you're just providing enough content for where people actually want to keep subscribing to providing a lot of value. So it's like, it's very challenging. And I've put out some good products too, but it's, it's not even, even just the content alone. It's, and there's also like, you have to think about, uh, I was doing a lot of research on just SVOD, which is short for subscription video on demand and, um, just learning about this market a lot. And people only have so much attention and they typically, the average American subscribes to three to five different streaming services. Now, you might not consider yours a streaming service. It might be more educational. But I'm thinking about streaming and thinking people subscribe to three to five. And the top three are already taken. It's going to be Netflix for sure, Amazon Prime most likely just based on what the statistics are, and some version of Hulu or or Disney Plus because Hulu and Disney are the same company. So one of those probably. And then you got two other slots. Maybe you can get one of those slots, but then you have to be getting people to keep coming back to your product so you don't lose that spot because people only have so much attention 
And so it's just that's the game you're playing with the digital game is of getting people's mind share. And that's what you're fighting against with the subscription model. So that is what I've come to. And I haven't cracked it yet. Yeah, I I, uh, I think we're – it's funny. I, I know every time I say this and think this, a lesson is just around the corner. <laughs> don't even <laughs> Dude, say I it. I don't even want to say it, but I'm going to say it. Don't – I think we're good. I, I think we're good. I think I we figured think it out. I think we figured it out. But, but, you know, again, going back to that convo with you, man, asking me, well, how long, how long is it until people cancel? Well, the, these weren't things I was thinking of. It was how many members can I get to get them started? And You're just getting the sales. Yeah, and, and I realized that the program was actually built based on having a high level of people in it. But if we're talking mm-hmm. about actually building something to get people to do this over the rest of their lifetime, it requires an entirely different product. From that conversation, I had to completely go back to the drawing board and say, why are we Sorry. even doing this? <laughs> yeah. Annoying, but I just thank punched you. the hole right through your boom. Before that combo, LTV. Before that combo, I'm like, I got this all figured out. It's all easy. Yeah, I mean, well, but to be fair, like I have also done that too. And what you did is you're pretty good at sales and you also have a, a product that works. It doesn't mean that you can deliver it well or that it's the right model, but the product itself works. So you have a good product and you're good at selling it because you have, you're a good storyteller. So those two things are enough to like strike pretty hot online and you're like, oh, we're making fire, baby. But then there's all this other stuff that you have to consider. And I've also experienced that too, where it's like, oh man, it's just working. But then on the back end, you're like, oh fuck. And so it just takes a few cycles, but I know that you'll get it. Yeah. Well, we got it. <laughs> Figured out. You got yeah. it. I know that. Yeah. I know that. God, on our next but one, I mean that, when that, I come back yeah. on here, I'm going to have to say like a dog, be- you know, tail between his legs. I I messed up, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, that, that's what I wanted to bring you on for, though, because, I mean, you you have proven that you can you can take your ideas and you can turn it into um, a community-based product, mm-hmm. right? That it, you're, you're doing video, you're doing... Uh, are you doing just video and writing mostly as content? Yeah, vi- video and writing are, are the main main forms of content people have access to when they become members in our in our program. What's the What's the range of members you've had? What's the peak that you've had at the most? Like, what, what are some of the numbers? Yeah, so uh, the range of members it can fluctuate between one thousand to two thousand active members. And when I say active, That's I good. mean people that are logging in within the past thirty days. Um, our membership base That's is good. bigger than that, but it's kind of like gyms, right? Sometimes people just keep it. To yeah. have the idea of it. Yeah. So active, we're looking at a solid between a thousand to about two thousand members right now. That's good, man. If you, th- it's hard to imagine scale. Imagine if you had a gym with a thousand members. That would be nuts. It'd be nuts. You know, it, it, it's it's nuts. You know, it's like uh, you have an email list and it has twenty one thousand people on it, and you're like, oh wait, that's the the size of Madison Square Garden at full capacity. Yeah. It's not the same thing as performing there, but it's just a to think about the scale. How many people can you know a thousand people is a lot. And, and think about the impact too of, of having the effect on those thousand people and the seed that that creates. What's, what's the goal? Would you try to scale it up and sell this company? I, I think everybody, or at least I'll just speak for myself. The, the idea of selling this thing would be nice. I like the idea of it, but it's also the thing that's giving me the greatest sense of purpose. I mean, outside of course, being a father to my son and so on and so forth, this business has, has, fulfilled so much that I think life would be weird without it. So I want to grow this thing as big as I can. I, I think it'll yeah. be my baby forever. But Okay. That's good. That's good to know. Maybe maybe a, a huge sum of money would change that. But I think, you know, 
being able to hold on and maintain the quality and the control and the integrity. That's what's really important to me right now. Um, you can always make other products that spin off from it and do other things. Yeah. And you know, it can be your home base. Yeah. We, we've, um, it feels weird even, even talking about it because my team and I look at these numbers and we're thinking like there, there's, how is this even possible? Uh, we survey all of our members. So I'm telling you a survey between a thousand to 2000, uh, our people are getting surveyed this information. 97% of people feel like this is the program that they've been looking for and they're on the right track 30 days into it. Of those 97% of people, 93% of them are doing this work daily, 60 to 90 days into that. that that's a, it's, it's unheard Damn. of for online program adherence rates. And I know that because I've taught a lot of online programs. They're, they're, the drop-off is about 3% now. And, and I say that's, this- uh, So your churn rate is 3%? Yeah. It's pretty good. And, and I, I say this because it all goes back to that combo that I asked, which is how long are people saying? Well, we've retooled the entire system to, to be able to support people on a daily basis. We've solved a lot of the problems by asking the, those really key performance metrics that, that you posed the last time you and I spoke about this. And it, it forced us to create an entirely different product to actually service people. So um, th things are going really well right now. Are you looking to get those key business metrics that I gave Vin about two years ago? Go to newwaveentrepreneur.com and I'm going to feature a checklist with those business metrics on that page to download for free. Go there now. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, um, man, until somebody you asks you, you that know. question and you realize you don't know it. Dude, um, thank you. for I, there's, there's, Like I said, there's a lot of reasons why I think that you're a good model of what's possible in the new wave. One, you took your ideas and you turned them into a, a bankable product. That is what uh, Naval Ravikant would call permissionless. It's lightweight. It's flexible. You can travel with it. Um, would you... You know, not that this is the only important factor, but give us some ideas on, on how much revenue you guys have done. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have our first seven figure year this year. Oh, that's hot, baby. That's hot. Yeah. That's we, hot. That makes me, that makes me sweat. <laughs> it's, it's, and you know, and you know, obviously the guys we're talking to and, and we're, we're looking at growing this thing there, there's been the talks of with our model right now, this thing potentially going up to eight figures, which would just be beautiful this thing sweat, is built to serve others and do really great at the same time so we're 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 ready to to go to the moon man that's bomb man yeah i mean you, you know look it, there's enough people fucked up with back pain to uh just you just got to find them with the product you just got to intersect with it where they're already at uh because there's a huge demand for it good that's good to know and it just showed that's why i wanted to bring you on i wanted to show people what's possible from Taking a story that could have ended with you just, uh, I don't know, sitting on the couch popping pills the rest of your life to actually turning that knowledge and that wisdom into a cool business that serves you, that makes it your life a lot more interesting and fun. And, um, and yeah, and man, we could do a part two of this. We can talk, we can talk on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Dude. I'd love to do that. Oh, where can they find you? Where, where can we find uh, you? Instagram, Pain Academy. That's our handle. Website is just painacademy.net. We're there. We're ready to help you. He used to have a really cool truck that he wrapped oh. with Paint Academy logos, but he had to take them off, and it, so it's not as cool. Yeah, anymore. you can't cut people off in LA with your business name on the back and where to and where to find you and where to contact you. <laughs> were you getting? Were you getting? Uh, were you getting? 
Uh, I wasn't getting phone calls, but you know, it was just kind of creepy. You know, I'm driving and then Instagram will say somebody just sent you a message and it'll be like the car around you took a picture of you driving and just weird, creepy messages from creepy people. I see you, you know, now I know where you live. It's just weird stuff. I thought about that too, but I'm like, I would never, I wouldn't put my business on my, it's too identifiable. Too identifiable. It's too, I want to be more discreet. You but know? marketing in, in the first um, in the first couple of years, you're you're stuck in in LA four hundred five one hundred one traffic. You've got your that's your true. name all over that's your true. chart. I don't know what that had to do with growth, but I think it helped. Scared the hell out of me. Uh, it's not. It's probably not a trackable KPI. <laughs> no, not trackable at all. That's for the next episode. Yeah. Not, uh, <laughs> all right. I'll catch you in the next one. Cool. my friends. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Vin. Uh, I know I certainly enjoyed interviewing um, someone with such an incredible story and I'll have to get my thrills from other people's stories because that is some people, I just think, wow, you have lived a a couple, a few thousand more lives than I have and he's one of those guys and um, in fact, there are uh, other things he's told me too but we should do a whole other podcast with him. Maybe I'll bring him back and we could do a part two on his life. Uh, Either way, I hope that you learned a lot from it and I hope that in terms of the new wave, when we're thinking about what's possible in our lives, part of the philosophy behind the new wave is that you are your own healer. Not that we don't trust medicine, of course, we do. Uh, we, you know, Western medicine is fantastic. Uh, there are a lot of other Eastern modalities that work too, and other, all different types of, um, you know, healing practices. Uh, but I think mostly what is important is that you're in touch with your body and that you know kind of what's going on and that you have. Uh, the final say in what types of treatments that you get and that you always are looking for alternatives to um, whatever the the norm is if the norm isn't serving you. And I think that Vin's example is just it just proves that. And so that's part of the new wave uh, in my book, absolutely. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. Make sure you check out all the other episodes on newwaveentrepreneur.com. You can check out all the stuff we have to offer. Make sure you sign up for the Peak Performance Workshops happening March 4th and 5th. You can catch that live or streaming. Only 100 tickets. Early bird tickets are on sale now. You get 100 bucks off, plus you get a buddy pass if you sign up for an early bird ticket. That's newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak. That's newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak peak. All right. Much love, guys. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So jump on in. It's time to surf that new wave. Catch you on the other side. Peace. Peace.